Uh, happy Father's Day. It's a great um, pleasure and privilege to be able to, to come up here and, and serve like this. Um, and Aaron asked me to do it. And, you know, when Aaron asks you to do something, you just do it. So um, <laughs> um, we are going to, as Zach said, talk about the parables of Christ. And um, being Father's Day, to, we're going to start with the uh, parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. I think that's a good one for Father's Day, but it's also um, uh, of the 30 or 40 parables that Jesus uh, told. Um, this one is one of my favorites, and, and it's uh, um, a favorite among scholars as well. Sometimes scholars call this parable the Evangelium and Evangelio, which means the gospel within the gospel. Uh, they think that this little story sort of tells, uh, in, in a nutshell, the gospel of of Jesus uh, and what Christianity is all about. So we're going to um, uh, do that. When I was um, researching this, I went you know, online like people do and noticed that there were over 4 million references. If you type in uh, the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son, there were over 4 million references. So this is a pretty um, famous worldwide known parable and you probably know it but maybe we'll shed some uh, shed some new light on it um, today so let's begin with our bible verse even though i'm really horrible at memorization we'll do this in honor of aaron who likes to do these <laughs> and i like to do them too um, <laughs> okay but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. All right. Oh, Luke 15.32. Thanks. Um, if you have your Bibles, um, you, can, you can read with, in those or you can um, follow along up here. Uh, the background of this is that Jesus is hanging out with sinners like he does. Um, because if you're going to hang out with people, you're going to hang out with sinners whether the sinner knows it or not, that's who Jesus is going to be hanging out with because if he's hanging out with people, he's hanging out with sinners. Uh, and the Pharisees didn't, didn't uh, appreciate that too much. And they asked him, why do you hang out with these tax collectors and prostitutes and these sinners? And, um, and so he told the story of the lost coin and the lost sheep. And then he finally gets to the story of the lost son. Um, and he says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. 
But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Um, What a great story, Um, especially for Father's Day. Um, When you hear the story, you can almost hear that song, right? Amazing Grace. In the background, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And what a wretch the younger son is. Um, Let's make no mistake, he's not just a bad boy. He's a very, very lost son. And we're going to look now more closely at this this really brilliantly uh, worded parable to see how lost he is. The first thing he says is, Father, give me my share of the estate. Um, That's the equivalent when you're a young child and you're telling your father to give me my share of the estate. That's the equivalent of saying, you're dead to me. He's not going to wait for his father to die. He's not going to wait to to, uh, get older. He just wants his inheritance right now, even before his father is dead. And then... It says he he got together all he had and set off for a distant country. So he took everything. He didn't leave anything behind because he doesn't plan on coming back. He's leaving the Father. He's taking everything and he's going. And he's going to a distant country. He didn't take his money and stay at home or move down the street and come over on the weekends or give him a call on Father's Day. Um, (laughs) He went to a distant country. He didn't go down the street. He didn't go to a different city. He didn't go to a different state. He went to a distant country. And the point that Jesus is making is he is very, very far from the Father with no intention of coming back. Um, And what happens to him? He chooses this secular worldly life and decides he's going to have a great time and uh, squanders his entire fortune. Uh, He works for the citizens of this distant country as an alien. Uh, And he ends up having a job feeding pigs which is the most humiliating thing you could do as a Jew because pigs are unclean uh, animals. You're not supposed to feed pigs. That's not what a good Jewish boy aspires to do. Uh, so his life away from the father is very, um, it's a disaster. He's hungry, he's unloved, he's humiliated. 
And so he comes to his senses, as it says in the story, and he has kind of a plan. He says, I will set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Um, Some important um, things to note in, in here. First, he repents, which the word for repent, repent means to turn around to stop, you know, to go back, to change your ways, change your life. So he does that, that's good. And he recognizes that he's a sinner uh, and he's going to go to to his father and say, I've sinned and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But then he also adds something that uh, we'll talk about in a minute uh, that says, make me like one of your hired servants. So he, he goes to God with a plan. He has a plan. He says, make me one of your hired servants. That's his plan. Um, he's not probably worthy to be a hired servant, but that's his plan. And, um, and we'll see how that turns out. <laughs> but it, it's good he repents. He goes back. And then it says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So while he's still a long way off, the father sees him and runs to him and embraces him and kisses him. He... Um, gives them the robe, the family ring, uh, sandals for his feet, and they slaughter the fattened calf. So he welcomes him, him back um, before the son even has a chance to do anything. The father sees him and welcomes him back. And I think this implies that the father's been waiting for him patiently and lovingly. I don't think that this son who's been gone for years, I don't think it's a coincidence that the father just happened to look up, and there he was. I think the father is always waiting, always looking, always hopeful that the son comes back and always ready to embrace him, Uh, and he does. And then this is where I think is one of the more interesting parts of the parable. The son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But that's as far as he gets before the father embraces him, and gives him the ring and the robe. You notice the part that's missing. His plan was to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please treat me as one of your hired servants. But the father doesn't even let him say that. He knows what he needs to say before he says it. And this is what he needs to say. And that's all we need to say to God. That's all we need to say to the father. Repent. And say, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be one of your sons. And that's enough. We don't need to tell him, now hire me back as one of your hired servants. Because we don't get to decide that. We just get to repent and place ourselves in the mercy of God. Who knows what we need more than we do. We don't get to decide what God's going to do with us. We just have to put ourselves in his mercy. Of course, you know, normally we don't, at least I don't. Normally my prayer sounds something like, you know, like this. uh, God, I have this really good plan, and here's what it is. I've thought all about it. I've thought about it by myself. I've figured it out. I used a flow chart. I've used all kinds of good plans. I've read a lot of books, and I'm a pretty smart guy. And here's what I'm going to do. So please bless this and do it for me. Um, (laughs) Kind of like I'm God's boss, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like I'm telling God, here are my plans Thank you, God, for carrying out my plans. Like he's my servant. 
um, lately I've been trying just to say prayers that say things like, thank you, uh, and your will be done, and please help me to accept your will, whatever it is, instead of telling God what he needs to do. Um, and so in this case, the father doesn't even let the son tell him, hire me back as one of your, or hire me as one of your, your servants. Um, and as always is the case, when we let God decide what to do, he does better things than we would ever do or that we could ever imagine for ourselves. And he brings, the father welcomes the boy back, not as a servant, but as a son. Uh, giving somebody the robe and the ring and the sandals and hugging him and kissing him and, and killing the fattened calf are not signs of servitude. That's not how you treat a hired servant. It's how you treat your son. And so the father uh, unconditionally welcomes him back as his son. Um, he doesn't even deserve to be a servant, and he knows that, so that's good. But amazingly, the father welcomes him back as a son as soon as the son returns and repents. Um, Aaron gave a sermon a few weeks ago that was commenting on the amazingness of this, how God created us as his children. And Aaron was saying, you know, God didn't have to create us, of course. But he, he could have created us even as slaves, but he didn't. He could have created us as his servants, which would be, that would be okay, that would be pretty good. But no, he created us as his children, as sons and daughters of God. What um, an amazing, uh, incomprehensibly loving thing to do. Um, and Aaron commented on that, gave a sermon on that, how... We're children of God. And whatever you've been or whatever you might become or whatever you aspire to be, whether it's a famous movie star or a novelist or a, a football player uh, or a minister or the President of the United States, you'll never be more or less than a child of God. So no matter what you are or hope to be, just remember you're already a child of God. And when you ask yourself, who am I? What have I done in my life? What, what's my job? What's my position? What's my title? Remember, you're a child of God. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's, um, I don't think there's anything that could be better than that. So he welcomes us back as children. And you see the father says, let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Um, you can hear the joy in this, uh, in his words. You can feel his love. He welcomes his son back with no conditions, no terms. He's not welcomed back on probation or on parole. There are no ifs, ands, and buts. He just unconditionally welcomes him back as his son. He doesn't give him what he deserves. He gives him more than he deserves. He gives him unconditional love. Um, and this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the Christian message. If we miss this, I think we miss it all. Um, if we concern ourselves more with our behavior instead of God's grace, I think we miss the gospel. If we're more concerned with who we are instead of who God is, I think we miss the message. Um, and I think the church should focus on this and forever be telling people the good news, the gospel of Christ. The gospel means good news, as you know. But uh, sometimes, you know, some Christians, myself included, um, you talk with them and it doesn't sound like they're about good news. It sounds like they're not very happy people. 
And it sounds like they're looking around to condemn anybody who's maybe having any fun. Uh, That's not what Jesus wants. The gospel is the good news. The good news is that Jesus loves you. No matter what you've done or who you are, he loves you, as in the story of the prodigal son. Um, It's not about rules and legalism and what we need to do, but it's about who God is and what Jesus has already done for us by his atoning death on the cross. So Christianity should not be a list of do's and don'ts, but it should be a faith about salvation and mercy and grace. And that should indeed be good news so that we should be the most joyful of all people. So when people meet Christians, they don't say, yeah, I have some Christian friends, and, and they don't drink, and they don't smoke, and they don't dance, and they don't swear, and they're, they're okay, they, they, they're nice guys. People should say, I know these Christians, they are joyful. They are so filled with love and mercy and joy. There must be something going on there that I want to know about. Because that other Christian friend who, yeah, he doesn't drink, and he doesn't swear, and he's a nice guy, that, I don't think that's going to get a lot of people to convert. And more importantly, it's not the message. (laughs) That's not what Jesus said. He said, rejoice, be happy, be glad. This is good news. Um, The Bible is not a rule book for how to be good. It's a life preserver to be thrown to drowning people. And the church should not be a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. We all know John 3.16 you see it at football games, you know, people hold up John 3.16, and it says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that's wonderful. But John 3.17 is pretty good, too. And I think some people outside of the faith would like to hear John 3.17. And it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I think a lot of, of people outside of the faith would really like to hear that because they think that we are sometimes self-righteous and hypocritical and full of rules and, and they were angry and, 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 uh, and they think that because sometimes we are. <laughs> um, but I, I think they would really like to hear that, that John 3.17 God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, no matter who you are or what you've done, but to save the world through him. Um, And I think this is a a good point to do a little comparative religious study. Um, Since we live in the postmodern culture where it's very popular to believe all religions are the same and all paths lead to the same destination, and it's all about the same thing, whether you're a Jew, a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Christian. Well, not only is that simply just not true, <laughs> they're not the same. Um, it's insulting not only to Christians, but to Muslims and Jews and Buddhists. They, they, don't, they, they don't think their religion is the same as Christianity, or they'd be Christians. Um, and they're very different. And so what I found when I was researching this is that, interestingly, the Buddhists have a prodigal son story. And... Uh, uh, I was on Wikipedia, and it says the Buddhists also have a prodigal son story. And in their typical modern way, they say, which just goes to show all these religions all have these stories. Um, Okay. So I looked up, I read the prodigal son story in the Buddhist faith. And they do have one. And the the son does go off, and he squanders his wealth, and, and he 
comes back into town one day after he's destitute, just, just like the prodigal son in the Christian story. But it's a little bit different after that. What happens is his father, since the son has been gone, has become very powerful and rich. He's like a, a king or a prince in, in this town now. And, and the son doesn't recognize him. So the son does not recognize the father. That's a little different. But the father recognizes the son, but he doesn't let the son know (laughs) that he's his father. Instead, he hires the son as a hired servant, the way the prodigal son wanted to be hired as a hired hand. That's what this father does, a little different than our father. He hires him on as a hired hand, and he gives him progressively more difficult tasks to prove himself and more responsibility, and and elevates him and and gives him different positions in his kingdom. Uh, And he does this test of his son to see if his son is worthy for 20 years. And then on his deathbed, the father tells his son, Hey, guess what? Surprise, I'm your dad. Um, (laughs) And now you inherit everything I have, and you can have my kingdom, because over this period of 20 years, you've proven yourself uh, and you've completed all these tasks, and you've passed the test, and so you've reached, I think, in, uh, I'm not a Buddhist, and don't pretend to be a Buddhist scholar, but I think in, in the Buddhist uh, uh, faith, that means, that represents that you have, you've reached this highest level of Buddhism, and you're, you're kind of entering nirvana now, that you've passed all these tests, and you've struggled, and now you've reached, you've attained the highest level of wisdom. Okay, that's fine, but it's not Christianity. It's not anything like the story of the prodigal son, right? I mean, do do those stories sound the same? Is the message the same? No. One message, and it's fine. The message is, if you come back and you work hard and you prove yourself, then you will be rewarded. That's that's a nice message. That's fine. Um, I don't think it's a supernatural message. I think it's a pretty normal message. I think it's maybe what I would do with my son and apparently what the Buddha would do with his son. But it's not what Jesus does with his sons. He says, as soon as you come back and repent, I will treat you as a son. There won't be any tests. There won't be any little game that I'm going to play for 20 years to see if you're worthy. I already know you're not worthy. (laughs) You're worthy because of my shed blood. You're worthy because I love you. You're worthy because you're my son. That's what gives you worth, not anything that you're going to do. And so I think the stories are are very different. And um, I was glad I ran across that. Um, story because you, you hear how all these religions are the same and then you're even told that when you're researching it until you actually go to the source and read the story. It's not the same at all um, as, as you would expect. Um, but wait, there's more to the story. We have to deal with the elder son because the story, the Buddhist story has no elder son. Um, the Christian story does. And I think especially for us, although I'm sure there are some prodigal sons here or people who've been prodigal sons at one time or another but probably most of us might have the problem of the elder son and you know he's a lost son too the elder son is just as lost as the prodigal son the younger son is lost in that he's rebellious and he leaves the father but the elder son is lost in that he's more interested in law and merit and reward than he is in love and mercy and grace And so the father goes out and pleads with him. And the son says to him, because the son doesn't go into the celebration. He says, I don't want to celebrate. I'm not going to do it. The father doesn't ignore him. He goes out and pleads with him. 
God's not ignoring you. He's going out and pleading with you to come to the celebration. But how many of us, like the elder son, are saying, look, which is not a very nice way to talk to your dad, especially on Father's Day. Look, (laughs) all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Okay, this guy who's so self-righteous and thinks he's such a good boy, where is the love? (laughs) He thinks that working with his father, that having a relationship for all these years with his father is slaving. It's like slavery to him. And I've never disobeyed your orders. That doesn't sound like love. He's just being obedient and slaving away like many Christians do. And then he's wanting a young goat to go celebrate with his friends. He doesn't want to be with his father. He doesn't even want to celebrate with his father. He wants to celebrate with his friends. If he just wanted to be with his father, he's already got that. But how many times are we like that? How often do we do that? So many of us, I think, um, we feel like being a Christian is enormous sacrifice. That we're, that we're slaving away, that we're obeying all of these horrible commandments, that we're not having any fun. And then we wonder why other people don't want to become Christians. Um, also, I wonder, if you don't like being a Christian, if you don't like obeying the Word of God, why are you doing it? Because all that means is you're going to spend eternity in heaven with this person that you've been slaving for that you don't even like. <laughs> why? What's the point of doing all these All these things for God if you hate doing them. Because the reward is you get to go to heaven and do all these things that you hate doing. Why do you want to do that? And his father tries to explain to him that this is not Christianity, that this is not the way to look at it. He says, can we go back one? Now, forward. Hmm. Well, here's what he says. He says, everything... He says, you have always been with me. And everything I have is yours. I've always been with you. Everything I have is yours. That's the reward for the elder son, but he misses it. He's already with his father. But he doesn't want his father. He wants a young goat. (laughs) Right? Um, He wants a young goat to celebrate with his friends. And how many of us want a young goat? to celebrate with our friends. Metaphorically, of course, we don't really want a young goat, probably. Although my sisters wanted a young goat, but that's another story. But he wanted a young goat. How many of us want a car, a good job, a nice family, a good lawn, a house in Wincliffe, (laughs) or Thunder Mountain, or High Drive, or Little Valley, or, I don't want to leave anybody out, Broadway. (laughs) Um, Broadway covers a lot because there's Broadway, Middle Broadway, Lower Broadway, Upper Broadway. Whoever did Broadway has no imagination. <laughs> so. <laughs> but how many of us want that? How many of us want a young goat to celebrate with our friends? Um, there's a, 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 uh, a proverb, a psalm. There we go. Go back to the psalm. Thanks. There's a, there we go. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Some people, especially, you know, the church of the prosperity, health and wealth gospel, think, oh, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
He'll give you anything that you want. I don't think that's how that should be read. I don't think that is what this means. I think it means if you want the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. If what you delight in is God, he will give you himself. That's the reward. Delighting in the Lord means you get to delight in the Lord. That's what God gives us. God doesn't necessarily, although he may or may not, give us health and wealth and happiness. He may or he may not on this earth. But he will give us himself. And if, if that's what we want, if we want to delight in the Lord, then the desires of our heart would be to delight in the Lord, to be to have a relationship with the Lord, um, which, is what the, which is what the father in the story tells his son. Son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. So, in summation, our summation points are we're all lost children. Some of us are prodigal sons. Some of us are the elder son. Some are both. The father is going to await our return with love and patience and we return as children. We don't return, as in some other stories, as hired servants or slaves. We return as children of God. And the father is always with us and everything he has is ours. And then notice the parable ends as brilliantly as it begins, it doesn't give us a resolution. It doesn't tell us what the elder son does. Does he stay outside anger, angry and bitter and, and still missing the, the party? Or does he go in? Does he, does he see the light and go in with his father to the celebration and embrace his son and embrace his father and be happy that they're back? Um, we don't know. I think, that's, I think Jesus leaves it open to ask you, what would you do? And it's a hard question. It's a hard question. What would you do, for example, if you go to heaven, when you go to heaven, and you find your worst enemy there? Do you say, oh, where is that justice? <laughs> Wait, what? I want justice. What's going on here? This guy is a bomb. He's worthless. He shouldn't be here. How is he here? I don't even want to be here. I'd rather go somewhere else as long as I'm away from him or her. Or do you embrace him or her and say, welcome, brother, sister, to heaven. Let's celebrate together. I'm so glad God has had mercy on you like he's had on me. We're both sinners, but we're now in heaven eternally with God, even your worst enemy. I think that's what Christianity is. It's not about our good works or about our obedience, but about God's mercy and grace and love. And I once heard a pastor say that we could never do anything so bad that God would love us any less and that we could never do anything so good that God would love us any more than he already loves us. Amen. Um, Let's pray.